Everyone, so welcome to episode 25 of Tetarik with Wallet. We have Mr. P.N. Balji hopefully with us tonight. So there's been some technical, there have been some technical difficulties on his end, but hopefully we should have rectified that. He just gave me an Instagram call. Uh, so we will be discussing the state of the media today and if we have time we'll go on the generational divide uh, on race so mr balji was formerly the editor of the new paper and and today so he he's been there done that as far as the media scene in singapore is concerned so uh, i've already told him uh and yesterday he also uh did a practice session with me but he said yesterday is yesterday today is today what narrowly having escaped a tiktok dance i don't know john lynn whether you are a football fan but if you watch that that game i don't know how you can say it's narrowly escaped england was never gonna win that game so uh i mean i knew that from the start so people who didn't know that i mean they were deluding themselves thinking that england could have won the tournament but anyway about politics today football is a secular sport please don't bring politics into it so yes that's that's my grandson here okay hello thank yeah, you so will, much for helping what us what will we what will we do without grandsons <laughs> okay. indeed indeed yeah so uh yeah so i think just a bit ah okay this is good this is, is that okay all right yeah it's okay okay, yeah. okay. so i okay. can hear you yeah. well Go ahead. so so thank you sorry, so much for doing this no yeah, problem no you. problem uh it's it's great that you agreed to do this in the first place okay so i i introduce you uh just now and you basically are one of the gurus of media in singapore right you've been there done yeah. that right so i wanted that's to right. get that's, your that is why yeah. that is why i keep my uh, white goatee still on <laughs> yes <laughs> makes people like makes, you describe me as a guru <laughs> makes you look wiser as well wiser than you already are. yeah so I, I don't uh, know. yeah so let's let's start off with the media right so sure. my my first sure, question sure. is uh so uh people like yourself and maybe maybe less yourself maybe somebody like but a very critical of the media as we know it today right or as as it is today uh but wouldn't you say that actually in many ways the media is much better today than during your time when you and Bertha were actually involved in uh in the media wouldn't you say that wouldn't you say that the media scene today is actually less compliant or pliant and it's more critical of the government in in very limited ways of course but just comparatively compared to the past so does that mean that actually the criticisms would ring hollow right what do you think about it oh you are you are worse than the uh, bbc journalism <laughs> <laughs> never mind never mind i'll try and answer are you referring to mainstream media or yes. are you referring mainstream. to all media no 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 mainstream, mainstream media. media not right? not, okay. not online yeah let me answer let me let me try and answer that question i think uh, uh there are many things that you when you when you look at media since i've had the uh, experience of having worked in media since 1970 70 not 1917 wow <laughs> uh, 70 better be that clear no anyway that i think we had a few things uh, i will not i'll be the first one to say yes we were under the control of the government there's no running away from it 
after the 1974 Newspaper Presses Printing Act, the control became uh, more or less established. You know? And I think the uh, uh, knowing knowing this government well enough, legislation alone is not enough for them. They wanted everything uh, watertight. So what did they go for? They went to make sure that the executive chairman of SPH was a former senior minister. And the CEO is a former top civil servant, right? So all these controls were there, you know. But the one big factor, I think, I don't have much uh, inside knowledge of mainstream media today, but from what I picked up, from what I see, from what I've spoken to uh, people in the media, I think the, 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 the one big difference is that the editors of that time there was a lot of pushing and showing, shoving during that time, even with people like Lee Kuan Yew. And uh, uh, I, have, uh, 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 I have put in some detail of those, uh, for want of a better word, confrontations in the book. Right? Yes. Well, Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you very much. Uh, so so I, I have detailed that uh, in... in, in I've detailed that somewhat. And so so we, there were journalists, especially there were editors, who would, even when Lee Kuan Yew was at his rogue best, when Lee Kuan Yew was at his rogue best, there were editors pushing, you know. When I mean pushing, I don't mean that they will go and uh, uh, shout at Lee Kuan Yew, but put up reasons why, you know that this should not be done this way. And there have been occasions when Lee Kuan Yew said, no, I want you to do it this way. And and and, and this, this these discussions are all uh, going on with the press secretary at that time, you know, James Fu. And, and, and these discussions were going on. Uh, and there were occasions when uh, Lee Kuan Yew will say no. And uh, uh, the editor, who is whoever is uh, dealing with Lee Kuan Yew at that time, would say, would try and explain why this should not be done this way because it's not good for the government, it's not good for the media. And there have been occasions, not many occasions, but there have been occasions when the editor went against the Lee Kuan Yew order. Right? So I think that's, that's the point. And that to me is the big difference. In, in the, the media then and the media today. Also, I think uh, my last chapter in the book is to me uh, the most important chapter. And I, uh, and I call it, the title is Last of the Mohicans. I believe that, that that type of editors are no more there and I don't think we will have them anymore. You know? I mentioned three editors. I'm not going to give the names because I want you all to go and buy the book. <laughs> And this is a, it's an extremely fascinating book. So when I read it, I read it in maybe three or four days because I really couldn't put it down. So it was, it was a very, very good piece of writing. So, so Mr. Balji, you are saying this with inside knowledge, right? So you know what went on with the editors and the pushing back and all of that. Yeah. But from the reader or the average Singaporean, right? People like myself, when we read, right? We do not know what goes on and we, we can only judge by what we see, right? And what we see that today, at least you see articles that are more critical of the government as compared to maybe 20 years ago, right? There are some things that 
that you see today that I remember Han Fook Kwang writing an article about the Oxley Road uh, uh, incident, uh, the, the house. And I felt, wow, I cannot imagine Straits Times right, publishing this maybe 20 years ago or 30 years ago, right? So from the reader, do you think it's fair for the reader to make the judgment that actually the media today is better than, than the media? Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with your point that you, you cannot expect the readers to know right? What actually went on, right? That is why if you read Chong Yip Singh's book, mm. which is uh, the former editor-in-chief, yeah. uh, uh, the Obi Marcus, <coughs> Obi Marcus uh, um, my Straits Times story, you know, he gives enough examples you know, of uh, where the, the push and the show happened. You know? uh, I have also given some examples, not, not that many, but uh, uh, and and, and, and and you're right, because until Chong Yip Singh wrote that book, for which he paid a price, uh, but until he wrote that book, Singapore journalists have this very, very bad habit of not, of taking their stories to the graveyard. Right. Not, not so much the Western journalists. The Western journalists will always write. Huh? Uh, and even the even the journalists in Indonesia, for example, you know, but the Singapore journalists somehow never got down to writing what actually went on. You know? And I think Chong Yip Singh's book and my book are two books that have been uh, written about, uh, if you want to call it the inside story of media or the struggles with government. You know? So right. I can understand why people, uh, the reader, uh, would have that impression, especially the reader who has come on to the scene now. If a reader has been from the 1970s, 1960s, I think that reader should have a good idea, you know. And I, I, uh, I would like to say that uh, I'm not in any way saying that we don't have the present media is not is not uh, uh, serious enough in taking on the government in a constructive way. But I think I think. That is that is the that is the uh, commentary part, you know. But if you look at the if you look at the uh, reporting, you know, it will be so skewed, you know, to give a positive light, uh, right. uh, especially the reporting of today. Right. And that's what most people read. Your commentaries are only read maybe five five percent, ten percent of the people. But it is a reporting that is very important. And I think the reporting has uh, standards uh, has, has gone down a lot, and that is also because of um, the the lack of uh, talent in the newsroom. Since since uh, since 2011, after the 2011 elections, and after the editor of the Straits Times at that time, uh, Han Fu Kuang, uh, had to step down because his coverage of the elections of 2011 was one of the fairest that I've ever seen. And he paid a price. So he because, had to step down because of that? Uh, uh, yeah, he had to step down because of that. And a new editor came. And can you imagine the newsroom seeing all these things happening? Do they want to take on the government in any way? Hmm. And what did uh, Han Fu Kong do? As far as I'm concerned, from what I know, he made the coverage fair, which means 
big picture of uh, Teo Chi Hien on page one, and the same size picture of Lao Tia Kang also on page one. Is that wrong? I don't think so. And he paid a price, right? So, so I'm saying there are so many issues involved, you know, in this uh, trying to uh, make the comparison, you know. And as I said earlier, I think the comparison should also include new stories, you know. Uh, so you take as an example, right? Today, I think today's story about today's story about uh, our economic growth. You know, uh, the recent recently released statistics showed uh, quite a good figure, double-digit figure. So it looked it looked like very good good statistics, you know. But if you read the story, it says that we started the the, the high, the huge increase in GDP figure is because of the low GDP figure the last time round. So it's from right. a very low base. Right. But an ordinary reader reading it will have to come down to the sixth paragraph maybe to understand this story. So that is what I am uh, uh, saying. That's where the big difference is. Right. So so I, I, I guess I have two responses to that. Right. So one... Uh, Maybe in life, we, we in general, we tend to have a, ten we, we have a tendency to romanticize the past, right? So I'm really trying to think whether, whether it was really, was the reporting really that much better 10, 15 years ago? And okay, I know, I know for sure the sports reporting was very good for the new paper. I bought the new paper as a teenager only for football, only for that. Uh, not, not for that. Not for the salacious story. No, no, no. I know okay. you did refer to that uh, in the book, but not. But for the football, excellent. Edwin Yeo, I remember. I used to look look forward to to his columns. Um, but I don't. I don't know whether news reporting was that much better than today. So that's the first thing. The second thing you said, uh, the the bad tendency of journalists to bring their stories to the grave. Right. Well, I understand. I would love. I would love more journalists to write. I would have more people to write in general. Right? But then there is also a school of thought which, which says, yeah, if you didn't say all of that when you had the power to do so, why do you say all of that? Now it just seems like you are bitter or you have an agenda or whatever it is, right? Because a person's test is when they are actually in a position of power, right? Yeah. I, I have a, a few of few friends I'm not sure whether I can call them friends, but uh, <laughs> they are friends. Anymore? And they, at, the launch, <laughs> at the launch of my book, a couple of them came up to me and says, oh, so you old journalists all are seeking redemption now. You know? oh. right? So I just laughed it off. You know? I think it is not really redemption. There's, I mean, anyway, we, I don't think we are going to get redemption. You know? <laughs> uh, but, but the point is that uh, we, we, we did... And I think that the fundamental, let's not forget the fundamental. The fundamental is that the government controls the media. If you want to fight the media directly, then you must be prepared, one, for you to be sacked. And I'm sure Walid Jumbla Abdullah is not going to give me a job <laughs> after, after I get sacked, or, or NUS is going to give me a job. <laughs> let's let's put it. And there's no other place that a Singapore journalist can go and look for work. It's just it's just uh, the the SPH 
or right. media company right? right can right. i go yes can others go and right. that, uh, i can i can talk about it a bit later but that is a lee kuan yew genius yeah? but i can talk about that later but uh, i'm coming to the point that uh, uh and your your question is very good i i wish that many of the journalists would ask questions like you ask you know uh that that why why couldn't you all do anything about it we did a lot of it was behind the scenes right and if we come out and write about these things we might as well give up you know so we believe or not i won't say we but some of us believe that maybe the the better way will be in all the discussions with the cabinet with the ministers to try and continue to beat the point that the more you control us the more our our our, our circulation will go down right it's not beneficial to you and it's now being proven right because right, right. we have a social media there right and look at right. look at the straits times circulation you know? right and look at now they have to form a new company right right straits times is practically with a begging bowl you know right so uh so thanks well you you are right right so walid jumla abdullah cannot give you a job right? walid jumla abdullah is lucky to have a job himself right so <laughs> <laughs> so but what you just said surely the government also knows that right that uh the more it controls the media the more uh or it is perceived to control the media it doesn't matter whether it controls but it is perceived to control the media uh the more uh the media credibility will go down and therefore uh circulation will go down and the media would go uh, the company can go bust right so if we realize that surely the government knows that also right so what's this what's, is the this yeah good yeah, question yeah. again yeah. this is the mystifying part about the government's involvement in media i have not found an answer i personally have you know met ministers and have told them you know that you know over time the credibility of the media will be affected but at, and this was a few years ago and 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 let me also say that at that time the straits times especially the straits times the sp group was doing so well so well in terms of money but that was right? pre social media right was that pre social yes, media yes pre social yeah, yeah. media so but now social media has come into the picture and has changed everything right so what the government is i think trying to do is to try and control the social media so pofma comes in and many other forms right but there's another interesting um, story you know that is uh, developing and that is even the social uh, social media by that i would include uh, internet media you know newspapers on the internet or solely on the internet if you go and examine those uh, outlets just go and find out not all of them but the more critical ones how much of government advertising is in these companies right so they are using kind of the money route to control right. the media mm. right so uh, i i was just told uh, was it earlier this week by a young reporter working for one of the one of the uh, media outlets that now the editors are, are trying to control the the reporters hmm the reason is because they are getting revenue from the government hmm right so this 
I don't have the answer to your question. I really don't have the answer, but this mystifies me because right. this is not this is not a stupid government. Yeah, it's yeah. It's a very yeah. smart, intelligent right. government. Why can't they see this through? Maybe right. they know something which I don't know. Right, right, right. Okay. So, how then can the media regain credibility if if the pi- picture you paint? I mean, I think the picture you paint is largely accurate, right? So, what can the media do? Or is it just do? Is it is it basically a structural thing? It's just because social media and alternative media have come up. So it's not so much that the Straits Times is seen to be pro-government. It's not that, but it's just the alternative of. Uh, it's just no, that I you think, have more alternatives. Yeah. No, I think it's both because you are seen to be. Uh, I mean, being pro-government is okay. You know, you are a very good government. Why not be pro? Mm. But you cannot. Write articles, present articles in such a way that looks so pro-government, right? A minister, one, I mean, a couple of years ago, I was invited for breakfast with a minister. I was very reluctant to go, so I gave all kinds of excuses. So the PR, the PR person came back and said, uh, "Gave me another day." Then I said, "I got, I got a doctor's appointment." Uh, <laughs> Then the third time came back and said, uh, 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 "You give a date, smart, huh? You give me a date, and the minister will be there." So anyway, I decided to go, and I I I I was very clear in my mind what I should tell the minister. So I went there. I told the minister, "Look, if you don't if you don't allow the media, see the media is not anti Singapore. I don't believe anyone in the media." Are trying to subvert Singapore. You know? I think they are all generally pro Singapore. You know? So, and I told him one of the things. You know that. Can you please tell your ministers to stop talking? Because whenever they talk, they are saying the same old thing. You read the newspapers. If you read it closely, you will see, right? They are saying the same old thing which they said two months ago, three months ago. But the media reports it as a as a page as a page leak, and what does that mean? Because a person like me, who is interested in media, who is interested in news, who reads, try to read the newspaper as thoroughly as possible, I just flip the page. I don't find yeah. anything new here, right? So right. this is where the problem is. So I think I hope I'm hoping uh, that the 4G leadership will take this up. Why? Why would they? If, Because they are if the if the previous generations have not done it, why would Because, they? Because if they are worth their salt, if they see that this is what the problem with media is, and this is how the media is going down the drain, then they should do something. Well, that's why. That's why they should, right? But why would? They? <laughs> no, I mean, I, 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 I'm not. I'm not paid one million dollars to answer that question. <laughs> but basically, I'm saying, if I were right, right. Leader, right, right. if I agree, huh? you must agree first. You see, this is the problem, right? Right, right, right. right. This is not yeah. going to be good, not just for Singapore. It's not going to be good for the government because right, if right. no, if people starts not reading your view, then what what happens? Yeah, right? absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I definitely share your your aspiration. I hope I hope they do see that as well. So there are there's uh, there are a couple of comments. Uh, people speculating which website you're talking about. I I huh. urge people to just read the comments because I don't want to say anything libelous. But 
that was what I was thinking as well. Anyway, so uh, so that's for the media. Anything else you wanted to say on the media before we move on? It depends on your question. Okay, okay. So uh, that that those are my questions. No, no, maybe basically. maybe yeah. maybe I yeah, want yeah. to. I I briefly mention about the genius of Lee Kuan Yew. You know? Sure. Uh, I've just written an, a commentary for uh, a journalism publication on the restructure of uh, SPH. And in doing that, I went around talking to people, some of them about my age. And, uh, so 30 plus, 35, 36. My age. <laughs> Your age. <laughs> in, fact, you, you, in fact, you are humiliating me. I'm, I'm below that. You know? Never mind. I'm just to put the record straight. I'm 73 years old. I'm 73 years old. Oh, wow. No, but. But people uh, maybe 10 years below me, you know, who I thought would know a lot about media. And I asked them one question. I said, do you know that the Straits Times is, uh, is 176 years old today, this year? They said, no, I didn't know. People who have worked in media. You know? So 176 years old, which is longer than the PAP government. You know, the rich history that the Straits Times has. Right. It's an institution. You know? So anyway, right. Lee Kuan Yew knew that. Lee Kuan Yew knew that the Straits Times is such an important vehicle for his party. Absolutely. And you know that in the 1959 elections when PAP was fighting for the first time, the top, the top group, the top editorial and management crew campaigned against the PAP. Hmm. And when PAP law, PAP won in 1959, this group of people all ran to KL to produce the paper, the Straits Times, from KL. Right. And then, maybe six months later, they all came back to Singapore. Because they know money is in Singapore, is it? I think that was the greatest, that is something that Lee Kuan Yew learned. Journalists can say this and say that and talk about freedom of the press and whatever. But at the end of it, money is important. Right. And the Straits Times made good money, you know, which was, and, and Lee Kuan Yew knew that. And Lee Kuan Yew knew that as long as the economy, as long as the economy prospered, the Straits Times will prosper because they have no competition. Whether I like it or not, I have to buy the Straits Times. Right. Now, now it's different, you know. Right, right, right. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. I think, I think that's, we we spent about half an hour on the media, so so thanks. I really appreciate your insights. Uh, I wanted to move on to some other topics. So this is still related, slightly related to the media, but it's uh, about a broader issue as well. So I've I've seen a couple of your interviews, and uh, maybe more than a couple, but I also follow Bertha a lot. And one of the things that uh, I mean, the two of you are quite similar in many ways, but one of the ways in which you are very similar is both of you pride in being the middle ground, right? And and this is somewhat uh, basically placing yourself between two extremes. Like one is anything the government says is bad, like those critics. And then the other side is anything the government does or says is good, right? So, uh, so while I get that, I get that. But don't you think middle ground is just a synonym for not taking a side? It's for sitting on the fence. Uh, and also it's a bit of posturing and sometimes can result in pontificating, oh, look, I am superior because I am in the middle, whereas you guys are so extreme. 
Do you think that would be a fair criticism of people who identify themselves as middle ground? I will answer that question very directly. It's a totally unfair criticism. <laughs> okay. Let me explain. Let me explain. You know? I mean, after that, you can decide. For sure, yourself. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the intention in writing, I can't speak for Bertha. You know? And even yeah. if I do speak for her, she'll be very upset. You know? <laughs> But let, let, me speak, let me speak for myself. Sure. That middle path is what Singapore needs now. We don't have a middle path, right? And what do I mean by the middle path? The middle path, by the middle path, I mean, you write, if, if it's a commentary, you write something which will give both sides of the story, right? You will, you will, you will, um, uh, uh, when you're criticizing or you're writing a critical analysis, I'm sure you, you are well aware of it. All academics do it. Uh, and so, and so we want, or me, I want to present both sides of the story, but finally take a position which may be pro-government or anti-government. That's, that's what I'm trying to do, right? So the analysis or the commentary will be written not in, a, not in an extreme form, but if you read the commentary, you will see that what we are trying to achieve is, I mean, I think... Singapore society cannot be, in, uh, and when it, when it is uh, especially related to media, it cannot be very polarized, you know. There must be something that people will say that is intelligent. I mean, take, I mean, the, the, the person that comes to my mind is Tommy Koh. He is not, he doesn't take left or right. But when he says something, there's a lot of validity to what he says. Some of them are criticism of government, right? He had campaigned against uh, minimum wage. No, he came for, sorry, he campaigned for, for minimum wage. For yeah. minimum wage, for right? Minimum wage, yeah. right. No. So, but does he write in a way that, uh, in an ex with extreme language? He doesn't, right? Sometimes too diplomatically, because mm. he's a diplomat, right? <laughs> but, but I think that's a kind of we need more people, you know? and I'm so glad that there are people now more and more I see. Uh, people like Cherry and George. Uh, people like uh, so you Donald. consider you you consider Cherry and Donald this middle ground people. I think so. Okay. I think so. But right, right. But right. they. But I think they do it with a lot of uh, 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 academic research and and backgrounding, you know, which I don't do because I don't think the 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 readers want right, that right. kind of uh, right. at least the kind of readers are right for. You know? Right. So there will always be the Charian reader, the Charian reader. So I, I'm. So the, what I'm saying is, but look at academia.sg. That's a new one. You write for academia.sg. Do you sit on the middle or take a position on the left or on the right? Right. So, okay. so I think generally, no. This is good. I feel it's good. More and more right. comes. It's a discussion, right? Right, right. Yeah, so, right, yeah. so I, I think thanks, thanks for that clarification because I think I understand my my understanding of middle ground probably wasn't wasn't the same as yours. So, because a lot of people wouldn't consider Chiran and Donald as as middle ground, even though no, they're, I would they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I think then I don't know whether I don't know whether they will consider themselves <laughs> as middle ground. But that, that's a, that's a I think issue. I think for me they are credible because they are. Their writings are, are solid and well backed. So whether you agree is a different matter, but they are credible. So, uh, so 
but what about some cases where there are no both sides? What what are the both sides to present? Sometimes there there isn't just because sometimes I feel like people do the both sides thing to get out of taking a stance on difficult issues. Right? No, uh, uh, so your question is people take people no, say because because you said you started off just now like your approach would be you right. Side A and then side B, and then you say what your stand is, right? But sometimes yeah. there are no both sides, right? One side is clearly, sometimes not all, not most times, but sometimes one side is clearly this is the better position, right? So, Fiacra uh, says climate change, for instance, there are no both sides to climate change, right? Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. So. so we, yeah. 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 So I uh, I see where you're coming from. I think that. Uh, uh, to say that there's only one side, I think that's quite dangerous. Even in that one side, that we all agree that climate change is important, right? But within that, within that, what are the the right things to do? Right, right. Is, so and there's say, a proper example, debate to be had. Yeah, that's right. So what is yeah. if the Singapore is what the Singapore government doing towards climate change? Right. Is that the right strategy? Right. Or, right. If I want to take it in a slightly different position. Has Singapore come on a bit too late to climate change, knowing that we being an island, we are very susceptible to uh, climate change, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, I think that's fair. I think, I think uh, we are in in agreement on that. <clears throat> so uh, the next I'm question glad, is <laughs> the I'm next glad. question I saw, and this is maybe this maybe we are moving towards disagreement. So uh, when I I caught your interview last. Uh, this was done two months ago. This was a very fascinating interview. Uh, I enjoyed it. But so the interviewer was asking you, your friend, right? So he's, he asked you, uh, do you consider yourself a privileged Indian in Singapore? And you said, uh, you don't like the word privilege because you believe you have earned whatever you have earned in life, right? Uh, so would I, would, by rejecting the word privilege, right? Don't you think you are buying too much into the meritocratic myth, right? Because you are extremely privileged, right? You are privileged to have a very supportive wife. You are extremely privileged to have had certain factors in life that align for you. That someone else who works hard uh, or who works as hard or who works even harder may not achieve the same success as, as you have, right? So I guess I know this may sound like nitpicking, but I think it goes to a broader philosophical point, right? Why? Why do you reject the, the usage of the term privileged? Uh, I don't think I'm privileged because you said that a lot of people work very hard. You should know how hard I worked. When, when, when uh, uh, in the 1960s, my father was a trade union leader in the naval base, in the former British naval base in Sambawang, and he organized a strike which lasted for a couple of months and we had no food on the table. And this visuals will stick with me, I think for the rest of my life, when a relative came to my house and when he realized that, you know, we were in, because we had no money, right? No, no pay. And he gave me, I was a young boy, he gave me $5 and they left. And I could see the joy in my mother's face. And say, quickly go and buy rice. That's not a privileged life. So what I'm what I'm getting at is that there was a period 
and times were so difficult. I will also tell you when I joined uh, Straits Times Press, 1970, the salary was uh, $250 and $60 transport allowance. There were occasions when money was not enough for the home, for my mother, for my father, for my brother, and other extended members of the family. And I was the sole contributor. I had to walk from Upper Thompson Road, where Kajarina Curry is today, mm. all the way to Kim Seng Road. Because I, I, I said, I'm not going to spend money on transport. That cannot be a privileged life. But but so, you said your, you had both parents, right? And mm -hmm. both parents imparted many values to you, right? Uh, I, they, they, I mean, I don't know about parents these days. But I think parents then don't impart values. You know, you 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 watch them and what they do, and then you take right. and that's like an osmosis. That's a huge privilege, right? Because if you were, if you had a different set of parents, that wouldn't have happened, right? Probably. Maybe, maybe, maybe. So that, yeah. that's that's my point, right? So that's my point. You you said you had to work, uh, and my my dad my dad used to work twenty hours a day. I'm not exaggerating for thirty years of his yeah. life, right? Sure. But my first drawn salary was three times higher than his highest ever, right? Sure. I can guarantee you I didn't work as hard as he did. I've never worked as hard as he did in his entire life, right? So, I mean, I, I think I work hard, but just I would never say I'm not privileged, right? Because if I didn't have that debt, I wouldn't be who I am. That illiterate debt, I wouldn't be who I am today. So I'm super privileged. I'm not privileged. I wasn't privileged financially then, but I'm super privileged to have that dad and that mom because if I didn't yeah. circumstance... So my, my point is there are many other people who didn't even know the value of hard work or a work ethic because they had a different set of parents, for instance, or because certain circumstances in life didn't... Like, and why, why is this important? Because I think sometimes we have bought into the meritocratic myth so much such that we, we fail to see where people end up in life sometimes is not a consequence of their own actions. Would you, would you disagree with that? I agree. I agree with that. I agree right. with that. I, I have, I have uh, up close and personal experiences, mainly because my wife has uh, started a charity 10 years ago. Oh. And, uh, uh, and, and so I, I have some experience, you know. And I still remember 10 years ago, she told me to take her to a, Sterling Road, a rental flat. She's going to meet somebody, you know. So I told her, look, you know, uh, she said she will drive. I said, no, 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 I will drive you. you know? Now I drove her. I think she spent maybe half an hour in that, in that rental flat. She came. She was just tearing. Because she never realized that in Singapore, we have such people living under such conditions. Mm. So, so I am, I am uh, lucky in that sense because of her association with, uh, with uh, these uh, sad cases. No? So I, 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 I am, in that sense, I'm privileged. No? Mm -mm, I'm mm. privileged to know these stories. And I'm also privileged that the sense that whenever I can, I help. Not, not in money terms. Because no? I don't think money is the, is the root. I think you must find a, a, a real solution to their problems which I don't think uh, we are doing now or not enough of. Okay. Okay. So, 
So thank you for that. I just wanted to to discuss that because I think it relates broadly to our societal yeah uh, yeah yeah so societal attitudes towards sure. people who who are less well off, right? So okay, so the topic of of the of the month, right, or of the year, perhaps is race. So uh, what what are your thoughts broadly? Because you have done uh, quite a few. You have spoken quite a bit on this and what are your thoughts generally on what is going on and do you notice that that do you believe there is a generational shift in terms of how your generation viewed race versus how the younger people myself think, and people even younger than me yeah okay uh, i think there is there is a difference in the way we see race religion but also i think there is no difference you know because i mean I'm, I'm sure I'm going. I might be accused of being a racist here. I think we cannot run away from the fact that there is a certain racial affinity. So when 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 I'm walking outside, and when I see an Indian uh, foreign worker, I will look at him. I will stand there and talk to him. But if I see from another another uh, race, you know, it's very unlikely I will talk to him because I think that he cannot talk the language. Maybe I can talk in Tamil, you know, to to the to the Indian worker. So I think that that part of it is always there, right? And and of course I see. I'm I'm glad to see that uh, we have uh, uh, inter interracial more interracial marriages, but it's very difficult to say you must marry uh, somebody else from the other race you know right right so i think I, I these, agree with this. Yeah. no i think these things are there right. but having said that i think having said that i think my generation or my father's generation uh we had hardly any time to think about race i remember when i was living in the naval base in sambawang it was my my job to uh, every deepavali to take uh, all the all the goodies that my mother had made put it on a tray cover it up and take to my uh, non uh, non indian neighbors as, as i was growing up i hated it i hated it not because you say know, why i must do all this you know but i did it you know and and the other good thing was that every time i gave them the the tray they always put some money inside so there was money for me you know so so i think that no that's one and i think is a kind of living the kind of a uh we never we never really saw color you know of the skin as an issue you know uh i don't know why it is is it because of the we had no time to think about this or is it because of uh, uh games you know because we all play football it doesn't matter whether you are indian or you are um, uh, chinese we we still got together and played football could it be that and and i just give you an anecdote which my son in law text uh, uh last week sent to the family chat he said we had a great time he took both his sons to uh, to uh, uh, to juro lake gardens and he said i was so impressed with uh, the boys because they were helping 
a Chinese family, you know, because they were having some issues. And, and this guy, without even being prompted by his father, went out to help. For him, color was the skin was not a, an issue, right? I, right? I don't know whether I'm making, I'm making a big issue out of it. But I think, I think, uh, and, and what, has, what has been happening in the last uh, few months is, uh, I think it is, I feel that it is um, anger, you know. And also, the key point about this uh, incident, uh, these are the incidents against Indians. I've not, I've not really read something about the Chinese, you know, or I've not read anything against the Malays, for example. So I think, and, and, and I think that the, the fact that there have been so many Indians who have come out from outside Singapore in the last 10 years, 15 years, our population has gone up, the Indian population has gone up from 7 to 9%. So I think there is a resentment against the Indians. Right. Right. So, so you think this is actually more xenophobia than racism? I think so. I think so. Okay. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot in what you say, right? So the, 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 the experience you mentioned about in the past, we didn't. Okay, so first of all, on the football part, I agree. I agree. I think uh, the moment void deck football was was disallowed, I think that that was a step back for multiracialism in Singapore. I genuinely believe that. I genuinely I, believe. I that. think so too. Yeah. I think okay. so too. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but <clears throat> the color blind color blindness, right? Is that really true? Because the the seniors in my family, right, my my parents and my uncles, right, whenever they speak about these are people your age, right, when they speak about race and racism, they speak about it with a lot of resentment, right. So they they are Indians, they look Indians, we are Indian Muslims, but we look Indian, so we always get the even me, right, we we always get the the jokes, the racist comments associated with Indians. Like my one of my relatives. Stopped going to school because she was caught curling all the time. Really? So yeah? she stopped going to school, and this is not this is not ten years ago. This is fifty, sixty years ago. Uh, so is that really true? Is it just that today people have people are more willing to not tolerate racist comments or racist jokes, or is it there is a there is a vocabulary that people can also use to articulate resentment against that. And also there's an outlet, which is social media. So I, I'm always very skeptical of claims that, oh, last time we used to be colorblind. And then suddenly out of nowhere, this, uh, this uh, thing happened. You know, because it doesn't seem, even when we were playing football, right? Uh, when we were growing up, when we played football, right? The easiest way to divide the teams is Chinese versus Malays. And then the Indians will go with Malays, right? So... At every stage in life, it seems like race was always a, a feature, even when people were doing things that were multiracial. So how is it that people like yourself and even your interviewer right, was saying, he, he, he repeated it a few times when he was growing up, he was colorblind. And I always feel like what you mean is actually when you were growing up, your color didn't affect you. It's not that you are colorblind. So you cannot tell me that you look at a person and then you don't, you don't see race, right? Because I feel like it's impossible if you grow... I mean, I think generally it's hard to make a case anywhere that uh, you don't see race. But especially in Singapore, also in countries where race is institutionalized, I, I find it hard to believe that people can be or are colorblind. What do you think? 
No, okay. Uh, let let me. You know, I think that's what I said, right? Maybe the 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 use of the term color blind, you know, is uh, is not not maybe is not the right term. I, I started off by saying that when yes. when I go out, I will look at it. If there is an Indian, I will look at the Indian. Right, but right, right, right. The point, the point is whether what to me the more critical question is race. The point is racism. That will right. I. and racism i check the dictionary before coming here racism means you 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 are discriminating according to color right i mean that's very important you see right and i have asked this when i was uh, in new paper and today uh, even in straits times when i had to do interviews for journalists or 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 promotions for journalists i've asked myself this question you know, what happens if i have two people coming for an interview both of them are equally good you check all the boxes yeah one is indian one is chinese who will i choose you will choose the chinese right as in because i i i know this and i actually i actually buy your reasoning because you are eager to prove as a minority that you are not favoring exactly minorities. exactly and i can tell you without naming names one chap who was Uh, a pap likely candidate who was interviewed one of the very senior ministers many years ago who gave the answer which i gave and he said no and said you're not you're not fit to be an mp right but that's, that's a good that's, that's a good thing, thing right isn't that a good thing uh, if uh, what, some, is, what is a good thing that somebody who thinks like that should not hold public office for instance you think Oh, you think that's inevitable? Is it that minorities will feel no, no, that no. because they need to compensate? No, I'm saying, I'm saying that the the minorities are, are always conscious. Ah, right. right, 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 I mean, right, right, you, you, right. Let me give you an example. Anyway, a lot of my friends are upset with me for saying this previously. That I think, as a minority, and a small minority, you know, it for uh, I'm talking about Indians, sir. Huh? it is very important to keep the chinese majority and not make them feel threatened i can give you a couple of examples right many years ago in fiji when the indians won the election what happened the military there was a coup look at malaysia right what happened uh, when the, the the chinese party dap won penang what happened racial riots right so i mm. believe that to keep the peace i'm not saying that you 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 don't uh, uh, raise issues but you don't raise it in a way which the majority will feel threatened because i think then it's trouble okay what what if the majority is threatened or some members of the majority is threatened by the mere fact that the issue is brought up not not any way but the fact that is brought up brought up by who brought up by the minorities ah oh, okay so maybe maybe that matters as well who brings it up yeah yeah who brings it up so if it i mean it's it, it, it's it's a very complicated issue right you know um, and 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 again i give you an example from my we starting new paper 1988 so i was in a group of people because we wanted uh, journalists we couldn't find good journalists not good but we couldn't find enough journalists in in uh, singapore so one of the countries that we went to to recruit was indian journalists 
we went to New Delhi and while it is in my book some of the finest journalists we could ever find were the Indian journalists so we we recruited maybe about 10 or 11 people and they were the best not just in writing skills their experience but their attitude they were prepared to work now when they came in there was talk in speech that i was running an indian mafia i've never forgotten that of course not in uh, directly to me but i've kind of heard it but they and after that after the new paper journalists came and some of them left the straits times and the business times began to recruit journalists from india so they saw the value of these journalists you see so this is what race is all about but I, when when i heard all these things i was not going i i didn't make a big hoo-ha about it ah this is a guy who plays football right <laughs> yes he does <laughs> he does play football yeah. Yeah. okay and, and, <laughs> no it's okay so 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 i didn't want to make a big issue out of it i said let let these chaps prove it and they proved it more than enough you know? so there are so many of these uh, examples you know? i i still wonder why these uh, journalists who are mainly chinese were talking bad about the uh, journalists from india and these are not your scums of society you know They're intelligent people right so if intelligent people can talk like that then what about the others right 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 so right so i think on that we are in agreement right but then how does that square with what you just said because the fact that you brought in those 10 or 11 right that threatens the majority right but you still did it you know, because we, that was the right thing to do so, uh, no uh, there's a back story to it and it's okay. a very interesting back story okay the person sure. who wanted us to go to india to recruit the journalists and made all the arrangements was sr nadan who was our executive chairman hmm right of course i didn't go and tell the space journalists this you know i don't think i i didn't think it was right right so it was it was a it was a not my decision to go to india but it was sr nadan who pushed us to go to india right okay so did did you reveal that in the book that it was sr nadan i think i think i think oh, I, did. Did. Okay. I, think I, did, yeah. i thought i got a scoop but anyway so uh <laughs> what, what is the book and what you going to say later <laughs> is still a scoop because not many people okay. have read <laughs> okay okay so uh, then let's let's push that that idea further right because if it's about appeasing the or not upsetting the majority what if a non chinese prime minister upsets the majority or seemingly threatens their position so should that be abandoned i'm just asking where do we draw the line between uh, with not offending if not offending the majority or some because the majority is also not a monolith right that some members of the majority should should that be the should that be the criteria for how we go about doing things or should we go about no i don't things? think so yeah. i don't think so i think i i still feel very passionately that uh, we need talent whether it is uh, it should be beyond uh, should be beyond race you know uh, so we need the talent but you have to be you have to be careful you know and i and and in my if if the editor of the new paper at that time in 1988 was a chinese and not me an indian would that kind of a talk have happened no. in sph no see you see what i mean 
Yeah. So it's a complicated situation. You know? It's really a complicated situation. So they they see this, and and sometimes you know journalists are uh, great at you know passing a snide remark. You know, because they, then they have scored a victory. You see, <laughs> and you, when you read when you read journalist articles, you will know. <laughs> ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไ
Well, let's say uh, we had a minority as the editor of the new paper, right? <laughs> should he not take up the? Should he not take up? Yeah, exactly. Should he yeah. not take up the position because some people may be offended by that? So, I guess I mean, where do we draw the okay. line if we are going to use a, people's offense? People are going to be offended at anything. Yeah, I think uh, it's good that you raised the new paper example. I think we. Uh, uh, I was again very fortunate. in having uh, editors who decided that i sh- and and the editors who who are my bosses were chinese and they never looked at it from a race angle never both times you know in a new paper and when i moved on to today today i was uh, the editor in chief also picked by a chinese right so what what does that tell you So your question is, then should I be very right? Yeah. Because I'm an Indian. Yeah. I was very, I was very. Okay. I was very, you know, at the back of my mind, you know, this thing was there at the back of my mind. Right. So you you were always you were always cautious that what your ethnicity will be used against you. Yep. Of course. Okay. Because because as as we brought in uh, sub editors from India. and some of the journalists who came to work in from singapore were also indians right so there was this there was this perception so i had to be extremely careful right so so there's a there's a very interesting comment by monica uh, the problem is there was no outburst in the 90s when most of the expats were caucasian living in condos nobody talk about a ghettoization of condos right but when it's indian expats then people talk about oh there are ethnic enclaves right so isn't that not just about xenophobia isn't that actually racism well i think uh we must not forget huh? i'm i'm now treading into uh, uh troubled waters <laughs> okay. uh we must not forget that somehow even even till today not as much we have a fascination with the whites right I mean i grew up in the naval base where british naval base right and i've seen you know that when when uh, we talk to the to the whites of course not that much somehow we take on that that accent you know so mm. there was always this romance right you can call it with the white man you know and of course you know the whole issue about the sarong party girl right so so that's that's maybe the reason you know but i would say i would argue that now it's less so i don't think the the local pop um, singaporeans will look at the the caucasian and consider him uh hybrid right so so you but think come, come, it would still be a problem if there were experts large numbers caucasians living in condos today i think now today. i think yeah. now there will be a bigger problem right right because right. they will say that these people are not are not uh uh not as valuable you know we we are better but but your point about the, the why is it against the indians right i think the answer to me is very simple because of sikha because we have seen and and I, and, and and i'm not going to uh equate e uh, sika with indian immigration but 
in the last 10-15 years, we have had huge number of Indians coming in, right? Population has gone up from 7 to 9%, mainly contributed by them. And there was a very interesting uh, figure, statistic, the, the census report. And look, if you look at the um, education level, the education level of the Indians is 41.3%. Yeah, yeah. And it has increased dramatically yeah, over the but, past over the yeah, past but, years. And it's because of but, immigration. Yeah. So yeah. the Chinese is only 30 plus. Yeah, yeah. So where did all this thing come from? Yeah. How, how did uh, the, 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 the educational standard of the Indians go up? I think one of the contributing factors is uh, uh, immigration. the immigration from India, right? But you are saying the way the way you are you are framing the problem, it seems to me that it is a political and economic problem, which I agree that is there is a facet to that. But have you personally ever been asked, Mr. Valji, like where are you originally from? Have you I've ever been, been asked? Many times. You've been, been asked. asked many times. Where where does that question come from? Nobody asks. A Chinese person in Singapore, where are you originally from? Ah, okay. Where where because, does that question come from? No, come I from? think I think you have to look a bit a bit into the history, right? Mm. We all know that China was a close country. So the, but the Indians, there was a lot of I mean going to India and coming back. Many of the Indians here at that time also retained their roots in India. Right, and I know because I, I used I was in the naval base. So many Indians after the British pull out decided to go back to India. So the, the the roots with India were very strong, but not the roots for the Chinese in China. And I think it is due to, essentially to do with the political situation in China. But of course, yeah. things have changed. Yeah, things have yeah. Changed. I'm I'm not talking about. 1960. I'm talking about now. You know, when people are asking, mm -hmm. "Where are you yeah. originally from?" Yeah. So yeah. I I feel like that that question when that is asked, right? Or when I remember this this happened two years ago. I was walking by a neighbor whom I used to say hi to every day, and my son will always shake shake her hand and kiss kiss her hand. She's Chinese, and one day uh, I went I went overseas, and then when I came back, then when I uh, she uh, she saw me. She said she asked, "Hey, uh, you went on holiday? You went to India, is it?" Said, why why was that? Why was that the? Where does that come from, right? So this is a Singaporean who knows I'm Singaporean, speaks to me every single day. My son shows her the utmost respect by kissing her hand. Yet she says that to me. This person is obviously not affected by Sika. <laughs> So where does that come from? I'm saying, don't you think there's more to this than economics? Don't you think that that question can only come right when from a place where they think that oh you are not not Singaporean Singaporean right? Don't you think so? Uh, if you ask where yeah, are you originally yeah. from? Yeah, I I think it does. You know, I think it does. But in your case, they just asked you went to India, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the perception the perception is that. On a holiday, you will go to India. <laughs> which is not, honestly, which is not a wrong perception. Well, I, well, I think it's wrong because then she told me, oh, I went to Italy. Oh, so you can go Italy, but the only place I can go is India. Not that I don't. Thankfully, mm. during that time, I didn't go. <laughs> Otherwise, I will answer and confirm her stereotypes. I do go to mm. India as well, but I go to other countries as well. So I do feel that 
that perception does come from a place where oh, okay you are originally originally indian so so my point the broader point is not about that story right so the the broader point is don't you think the the racism is not just about sikha because prior to sikha even singaporean indians get such comments all the time right you're blacky or whatever it is whatever whatever it is or do you think it's largely sikha that has had has no, caused all of this i i i i i i feel that uh sikha has caused this to kind of blow up right and also that these indians who have come from india they are i mean okay let me just take a step back i think we have had three waves of immigration from india the first one during the colonial times when the indians came here to do, build all the buildings you know that's how the word killing came about you know right 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 so that's yeah. the first wave the second wave came with all the uh, a lot of the indians came with the foreign workers right they came here to to for construction and all that now we are seeing the third wave now this third wave we see more north indians than south indians right the skin they are fairer they have uh, they are very confident of themselves they know that if singapore doesn't want me i can go to australia i can go anywhere else and they are bright people you know i met many of them and actually i actually uh, uh, enjoy having discussions with them so we have had these three uh, waves of indians and i think that the present one is what is causing some kind of uh, antagonism because you are coming here to take our jobs you know they are coming here to take our women there's a book called the orchard road indian if you have the time you should read it it is written by an expat indian you know? the orchard road indian there he looks at this these indians who have come here uh, they 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 are many of them are well liked by the chinese girls here and he goes into some some depth about talking this talking about this and i think all these things have combined salaries uh, we are losing our privileges we are losing our women you know all these things have come together whether true or not they've all come together okay. right so uh, thank you for mine that is not, I, mine is not an academic analysis no 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 i think i mean you have a wealth of experience <laughs> as in i think i probably disagree with you on sikha being the reason or one of the major factors for well, not not the only reason but one of the major factors but where i agree with you is i think the if the cmio model is uh is problematic right i do think it has value but where the biggest threat to the cmio model actually comes from the i category because people do not understand the diversity within the the indian especially the north south divide where there's <laughs> there's a lot of antagonism between the north and the south and people don't understand it just to don't, put everybody as i mean there's a lot forget, of tensions as you know yeah don't forget the caste divide exactly so there's yeah. a lot of tensions within the indian community yeah, because yeah, yeah. of because of immigration actually yeah. immigration yeah. Yeah. yeah so uh so while all of that is true i do not deny all of that is true but i also think that we cannot deny that indians and malays and malays are also uh the 
the victims, but also, okay, I'm not saying that it's because Indians and Malays are more moral. No, it's just because of a numbers game. Indians and Malays can very well be capable of racism themselves as well, as you and I both know. Yeah, uh, But it's a numbers game, right? So Indians and Malays in Singapore are, are subjected to that irrespective of, of seeker. But anyway, uh, Mr. Balji, we've gone one, almost one and a half hours. Any final thoughts on anything that you want to say? No, no, to I, a young, I just, young, no. younger audience, yeah. I just wanted to uh, clarify the point about seeker. Sure, sure, yeah. I, I, did this, I, I don't think I said it is because of seeker. Okay. The okay. impression that is created, right? Right. Because if you go and talk to people, the understanding of Sika is, is really not there. You know? right, right, of course, right. it's a huge document. There are so many right. elements to yeah, that yeah. document. But for, unfortunately, Sika has been hijacked. Right. Right? Because of various reasons. You know, because it was never explained well before. And, and, and Sika is slightly different from the other FTAs, mainly because they allow the, the so-called inter-corporate transfers. I'm not sure whether that is in uh, the other FTAs. So all these things have complicated the issue, but I don't think we can pin the blame totally on Sika, but it's an impression that is created. Right. Sorry, okay. I, I thought I should make that. No, no, yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you so much. Do you have any other thoughts on anything? Just final thoughts that you okay. want to say? Or? Uh, final thoughts. <laughs> uh, I, just, I just want to say I'm, I'm sleepy. <laughs> Okay, thank is you that, so much, Mr. <laughs> is that a final that's, that's a perfect concluding thought. Thank you so much <laughs> for doing this. I really enjoyed this. We so we went for about 80, 80 plus minutes, so well, really, yeah, 70 well, plus minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I did 70, 74, 75 minutes. So, thank you so long. much. Thank you thank so you. much. We'll have Tetari in real life soon. Thank you so much. And sure, good night. Much. Yes, okay. good, good night, everybody. Bye. Bye. Good night. Thank you. Good night.